Uh, here we go. This is what it says. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. And we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our saviour. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. And as I was thinking about uh, the, the passage and preparing for it, I thought, actually, you don't really need to be taught how to give up, right? Give, giving up is pretty easy. You just stop. Uh, and and that's, that's pretty much all there is to it. The challenge for us as Christians is, is to not give up, is to carry on. Uh, and, and actually, at the end of the passage we've just read, that's what uh, Paul encourages uh, the Philippians to do. He says, therefore, my dear brothers, brothers and sisters, stay strong, stay true to the Lord. Don't give up, carry on. And so, um, if you've ever felt like giving up, and I have felt like giving up before, and I'm sure other people can relate to that, uh, these words are for you this morning as well. The, the encouragement that Paul gives, the encouragement that Paul brings to the Philippians, and the challenge he brings to the Philippians is to not give up, to stay true to the Lord. And that's, that's what we're looking at this morning. And so the first thing that, that Paul says is, he says, pattern your lives. Pattern your lives. I'm going to look at that first. You know, we are imitators. All of us, we are natural imitators. From the moment we are born um, through our life, we imitate other people. And we see it with my daughter. My daughter's two, two months old now, uh, and she's just starting to smile at her mom. And she smiles not because she's necessarily particularly happy. She smiles because her mom smiles back at her. So her mom smiles at her and she says, oh, I'll try it. And she, she, copies, she copies her mom. Uh, and that's, that's really exciting to see. Our son is at that really awkward stage now where he'll copy everything you say. So you have to be really, really careful what you say in front of him um, because he'll, he has no filter. He'll just blurt it back out again. Um, but he imitates his parents. And we see it at, at school. When you went through school, you know, the, the cool kids. You wanted to be like them. You wanted to dress like them. You wanted to speak like them. Um, and it, it carries on through adulthood as well. Uh, I, I was in the opticians recently. I don't know if you'd like my new glasses, uh, whether they make me look more intelligent or not. Leave that to you. Thank you, Richard. Yeah. <laughs> um, the optician um, who I spoke to uh, took great joy and pleasure in telling me that uh, my, my old pair of glasses were in fashion once. Um, and, and that I needed to update my image. Um, but, but, you know, we call people slaves to fashion, don't we? Because we want to imitate the latest fashions. We want to imitate those things. And Paul understands this. He calls us to pattern our lives after him and after others who follow his example. Um, Christians, Christi to be a Christian is to be a follower of Christ, right? To imitate Jesus. But the reality is that actually we imitate other godly men and women who have gone before us as well. 
Isn't that the great news about uh, the power of Jesus in people's lives? Is that people who have gone before us, we can be inspired by their story. I love hearing people's stories because it inspires us to carry on, to move forward in our relationship with Jesus. Many of my heroes, many of the people who have inspired me through their, through their words um, had gone to be with Jesus long before I was born. And yet the power of Jesus in their lives had meant that they, their legacy could be an encouragement to me to, to move forward. And so Paul says, follow me, look at me. My, my sight is fixed on Jesus. And so the first challenge for us is making sure that our sight is following not just Jesus, but godly men and women who have gone before us and, and who inspire us to carry on in our relationship with Jesus. There's a flip side to that though which is that if we are following people who have, who have gone before us, then it stands to reason that there are people coming behind us who are following us. Maybe they're people who are here today, people who are young Christians or even not yet Christians who are going to become Christian, uh, Christians because of um, our example. Or maybe they're people who aren't even born yet, um, and it's about the legacy, that we, the legacy that we leave them. I want you to turn to the person next to you and say, you are an influential person. Tell them that you are an influential person. Okay, good. Okay, I want you to turn to the person on the other side of you and say, you're an, uh, you're, uh, an inspirational person. Good. Lots of smiles, that's a, that's a good sign. Does it make you feel good knowing that you're an inspirational and an influential person? It should do. It should do. It means that you can inspire people to follow Jesus. You can inspire people with your lives. That's a good thing. But it also has a problem as well. Read with me verse 18 and 19 of the passage. He says, For I have told you often before, and I say it again, with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. Here's the problem that Paul has. Paul is, is writing, says he has tears in his eyes. His heart is breaking at this situation. And he calls these people enemies of the cross of Christ. That's strong language, isn't it? A strong language. And here's the problem. These people who professed to be Christians, they professed to follow Jesus. Uh, maybe they went to church. Maybe they prayed. Maybe they, they, they tithed. I don't know. But they professed to follow Jesus. And yet their lifestyle contradicted what they said they believed. The Bible says their God was their appetite. They were into consumerism. They bragged about shameful things that they thought only about the things of this earth, of this life. And here's the main problem. They were inspirational and influential people, and people followed them. Jesus came and died so that we could have freedom from the bondage of this world, freedom from the slavery of this world, to set us free, to set the captives free. And yet these people who professed to believe and love and follow Jesus, were leading the people back into the same captivity that Jesus came to get them out of. Parents, how would you feel if your children go to school and uh, they get into a bad crowd and they get into some bad things, doing drugs, doing alcohol, doing uh, smoking? You'd be angry, wouldn't you? You'd be, you'd be passionate about protecting your child and helping them go on, on the right path. 
Matthew 18, verses 6 to 7, Jesus talks about this. And the context is that he's talking about, uh, to start off with at least, talking about uh, little children. But this is what he says. But if you cause one of these little ones who trusts in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person that does the tempting? Do you think God takes it seriously when people mess with his children, when they try and lead them astray? Yeah, he does. He does take it seriously. And so it's this big responsibility, isn't there, not only to follow these people who have gone before us, but to leave a legacy and an example for the people who are, who are following behind. How can we live up to that when we're, we're not perfect people? How can we live up to that responsibility? But you see, Paul understands that it's not about his perfection. He, goes, he talks about it earlier in the passage. In fact, uh, Graham spoke about it last, last week, the same passage. But he says, I haven't achieved perfection, right? Paul isn't a squeaky clean guy. He, he was a Pharisee. He uh, persecuted the church. He was there at the death of Stephen, the first martyr, when he was stoned. He beat up and imprisoned Christians. This guy's got a past. He's got a history. He's not perfect. And yet he recognizes the importance, actually, is the direction we choose to lead our lives, the lifestyle we choose to live, following after Jesus and godly men and women. He calls the Philippians to pattern their lives after him. And so we are called to pattern our lives after Jesus and after people who've come before us, not just so that we can uh, move forward in our own faith, but so that we can leave a legacy, so that when we are dead and gone and people read stories about our lives, they'll be encouraged to carry on with Jesus and not give up. So pattern your lives. Secondly, he says, you are citizens of heaven. You are citizens of heaven. Verse 20, it says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we eagerly wait for him to return as our savior. What does it mean to be a citizen? Where we come from, I guess, and, and, and where we represent when, when we're out and about in the world. And it gives us protection and purpose uh, of the state that we, we come from. I was thinking about citizenship and I thought, uh, you know, the thing that came into my mind was my passport, which I have here. I have my passport. Yeah. I use this quite a lot for work. Uh, and so I, I'm, I'm often, I've often got it in my, uh, in my hands. And I thought, I don't know whether you've ever read your passport. There's, there's quite a lot of fine print on it, whether you just use it to, to go various different places. But this is probably one of the most powerful documents that you can have as, a British, as an ordinary British citizen. This is probably one of the power, most powerful documents you can carry. And uh, I don't know how much you know about the passport system, but um, you probably know that uh, to tamper with a passport, to tamper with the identity, is a criminal offence. Um, you may not know that actually no one owns their passport in the United Kingdom. It says it in there. Uh, it is the property of the state. It's a bit shocking given how much money you have to pay to have one, but it is the property of the state. They, they say in the fine print they can ask for this back whenever they want to, but the identity in it, the, this passport is the property of, of the state. And then there's the inside cover, and I don't know whether you've ever read the inside cover of your passport, but I thought I'd read it to you because it's, it's quite powerful. This is what it says. Her Britannic Majesty's Secretary of State requests and requires in the name of Her Majesty all those whom it may concern to allow the bearer to pass freely without let or hindrance and to afford the bearer such assistance and protection as may be necessary. 
What this is, is actually a small piece of the queen's authority passed down to someone. The authority to pass without let and hindrance and to give assistance and protection to the person who carries this document. That's a powerful thing. That's a piece of authority from the highest member of state uh, in our country, given to each of us. And we are called citizens of heaven. When we know Jesus and follow him, we are citizens of heaven. What does, what does that mean in reality? First of all, it means you carry the authority of the king of heaven. You carry the authority of the king of heaven, Jesus. Ephesians 1, 13, 14, it says this, And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves you. And when you believe in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. The Holy Spirit is, for want of a better word, the passport that that, that God has put in our lives. It's his Spirit that he's put in us uh, to, to say that we are citizens of heaven. We carry God out to the world through the Holy Spirit who lives in each one of us who believes in Jesus. The Holy Spirit resides in us. But it gets even better because Romans 8, 11 says this, the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. So not only do we carry God out, but the same power which raised Jesus from the dead, that same power lives within you. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that amazing? That power is is in each of you who follow Jesus. We are powerful people, and we carry the authority of King Jesus out to the world. And secondly, to be a citizen of heaven, it means that our identity is in Jesus, and it cannot be tampered with. You know, we have an enemy, and it's, the Bible says, the thief comes here to steal, to kill, and to destroy, and he would love nothing more than to steal, kill, and destroy your identity in Jesus, because it's a powerful thing. He loves us to put, he loves to persuade us to put our identity in lesser things. Graham spoke last week about gods that we we have, right? So um, our gods are the things that we make most powerful in our life, that have the most influence over us. And he encourages us to put our identity in those things, into our wealth or our relationships or status or jobs or things that we own, uh, anything other than God. And then when those things fail, so does our identity, and it all comes crashing down, and he loves to do that. But I want to tell you this morning that that is a lie, that if you are a Christian, that is a lie. John 17, uh, in John 17, Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, just before he's uh, going to go off and be crucified, and I've picked a, a few cho- choice verses out of this prayer because he, it's quite a long prayer, and he's praying for his disciples in these verses, and I want to just... Uh, tell you these and and want you to hear what what he says about his disciples. Verse 6, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me and they have kept your word. Verse 9 to 10, it says, my prayer is not not for the world but for for those you have given me because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you. 
and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Verse 14 to 16, I have given them your word, and the world hates them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. Your citizenship of heaven isn't here. It's, it's in God. It is secure in God. We belong to God. We come from heaven. When you become a Christian, your identity is placed in heaven. You come from heaven. To heaven we are going to go back to. That is our place. That is our origin. And our criminal, a criminal, comes to tamper with our identity. And he can't have it. He can't have it because it is is in God. Our identity is in God. It's protected. So to be a citizen of heaven, it means we carry the authority of the king. It means that our identity is secure in God and that it can't be tampered with. And I was thinking about this little piece that I read you out of my passport and I thought, what if God was to give us a passport and that we could carry it around? What would it say in the inside of, of the passport he gives us? And this is, what I, this is what I came up with. His holy majesty, God and maker of heaven and earth, declares in the name of Jesus to all people that the bearer of his Holy Spirit has the power and authority to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to raise the dead, to give the blind sight, to give the mute speech, to give the deaf hearing, to give the lame strength, to set captives free, and to lead all who are willing to Jesus. Yeah? That is the passport that he puts on our hearts. That is the authority he gives us through the Holy Spirit. That is what it means to be a citizen of heaven. And Paul isn't writing this to the Philippians on the defensive. He's not saying, please don't quit because you're a citizen of heaven. He's saying, you are a citizen of heaven. Why would you ever want to go back to this world? Why would you ever want to crave those things when you have this gift of God inside of you? It's powerful. It's powerful. So we are citizens of heaven. Finally, God is faithful to finish his work. One of my greatest privileges as a parent is to see my children mature and develop, to grow, to change, to see them move forward. Uh, when Emily was pregnant with, with our second child, Ellie, um, we realized that we were going to have to move Zach out of his cot and move him into a proper bed in a room, in another room. Um, and so we, we did this, we decorated the room, we put him in his bed, uh, and, uh, and that was that. And for the first couple of nights, it worked out really, really well. He stayed in his bed, maybe the novelty factor, I don't know. Uh, and he went to sleep and that was fine. But after that point, he started to come out of his bedroom, out onto the hall. We have a stair gate at the top, so he wasn't at any risk. But he kept coming out of his bedroom and running around the hall and thought it was a brilliant game uh, to get mom and dad to come traipsing up and down the stairs and telling him to go back to bed and, and put him in. This went on for probably uh, t- two months, two and a half months. Anyway, while we were in this period, I, um, one of my colleagues suggested, no, 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 you're getting this all wrong. You want to put a lock on the door or you want to put a gate in the doorway. You should stop him coming out completely. And we thought about this and we thought, no, that's not what we want to do. We want our son to learn to choose for himself that it is not appropriate for him to come out of his room, that actually nighttime is for sleeping and that he can make his own decision to do that, to, to encourage him to mature. It seems stupid to talk about a two-year-old maturing, but we do, children do. They start to mature, they start to learn, they start to grow. And it was a great joy to see it finally happen. 
finally. It did happen. It happened before the baby came, which is a real blessing from God. Um, and as parents, we have a desire to, to see our children move forward. That's a good thing. It's a good thing. It's a powerful thing to see uh, a child in a loving and supportive home and see how they develop in that environment. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really powerful thing. And we know this. We know this for ourselves as adults. We know that that's an important thing to give children a stable and loving home environment. And, yet, uh, and we see the power of maturity. And yet we forget that for ourselves. We forget that for ourselves. The temptation is sometimes to give up because we feel like our relationship with God has gone stagnant. We feel like it's just stopped or it's not moving forward, that God isn't doing anything in our lives or we're not maturing or moving forward at all. Verse 21, Paul said, he will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. God is not done with you yet. God is working on us. God, is, God delights in seeing his children mature and grow and develop. He's interested in, in, in seeing that happen. In Philippians 1 verse 6, we saw the start of the story. Uh, John talks about how, uh, sorry, Paul talks about how uh, he is convinced that God will see good work through to completion in us, and he will. He will. How does Jesus mature us and grow us? He does it by inviting us to do work with him, inviting us to walk with him. I'm going to finish with this. This is uh, just something I wrote out while I was preparing, and I put it on a scrap piece of paper and um, just felt that it was right to include this at, at the end of what I had to say this morning. And this is our invitation to a God who cares and wants to see us grow and mature and delights in us moving forward with him. Jesus says, I love you and you are mine and my home is your home. I have an exciting plan that I want you to be part of. I have lots of other lost children who don't know that I love them and want them to come home. Come, help me find them and tell them. Tell them I love them. They are mine. They can come home. Amen? I'm going to pray, and then I think I'm going to hand back to Mark. Yeah. Mm. Father God, thank you for the gift of being a citizen of heaven. Amen. Thank you for the, the power and the, uh, uh, the opportunity to serve you uh, in that role. Thank you that you have given us godly men and women before us to inspire us on. Thank you that you, through your power, uh, our lives can be testament to other people following us. Thank you for that responsibility, and I pray that you would inspire us to, to, to keep our eyes on you, Jesus, to keep moving forward with you. And thank you, finally, that, Father God, you care for us, and you care for our maturing and our development, that you delight in it. And I pray that we would leave here encouraged to want to continue on with our journey on you, not to give up, but to, to carry on, to carry on as brothers and sisters, uh, working together to, to learn more about you, Jesus, to tell more people about you, Jesus, to inspire more people to follow you. I pray that in your name, Jesus. Amen.